I want to look for a little while this afternoon into Revelation chapter 9 and verses 1 through 11. And, uh, <clears throat> and as we do so, I want to remind you of some things about the book of Revelation. You don't just pick up the book of Revelation, read it, and understand it. Matter of fact, you don't start there. We have to understand what the Scripture teaches. We have to understand comprehensively what's taught therein. And uh, those passages of Scripture we call doctrinal passages that are clear in teaching us certain truths about our Lord, about His church, about His kingdom. Those truths must be applied to the more symbolic passages of Scripture. And the book of Revelation is a book of symbolism. It cannot be understood unless those symbols are understood throughout Scripture, how they're taught in other prophetic passages of Scripture. And then, of course, it, it's a mistake to think that the book of Revelation is chronological. And I mean by chronological, that it begins at a certain period and follows through to a, an end, and uh, that it, it goes in order. Historically, that's not the way it is. There are at least seven differing cycles in the book of Revelation. These cycles all begin at the beginning of this age. That is, when Christ came, when the gospel began to go forth, all the way through the consummate period until the judgment of God comes. Uh, you'll see that in various passages in Scripture. You seem to come to a final judgment several times over in the book of Revelation. That's because the book of Revelation has a series of visions. It's not chronological. That's why you, you hear John the Apostle saying, I beheld and lo, that's the language of vision. I saw, etc. So he comes to another vision. You have these various visions. You have numbers in the book of Revelation. Numbers that are very important as far as their biblical meaning. Uh, you have um, the number seven, which we will actually find in our consideration this afternoon. The number seven in the book of Revelation is a number for completion. When you get to seven, completion has come. And uh, you have three and a half. Three and a half is half of that in the book of Revelation. So you have all that takes place during that period of time before the completion. You have the number 12, 24, 144, 144,000. Biblically, always in the scripture, the number 12 is the number for the church. It was the number of the patriarchs in Israel, the number of the apostles in the New Testament. In uh, the fourth chapter, you have 24 elders combine these together and so that that number is very important but it is a spiritual number not to be understood in literal mathematical terms as we use these numbers are very important in the book of revelation and it cannot be understood unless these numbers are understood in their meaning as they consistently give us meaning in uh, the new testament but i'm not going to give you a comprehensive study just some things to think about there so in the in the ninth chapter of revelation we read the first 11 verses 
And in chapter 8 began a series of judgments that come through what are called the seven trumpets. These are the trumpet judgments. Other places you have other types of judgments that are taking place. Seven, again, the number of them, which is always the number for completion. God is going to complete what he purposed. And uh, so we'll have here the fifth angel that sounded a trumpet, which becomes uh, very important and a woe judgment, it's called in the book of Revelation. So we read, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke, which means also out of that pit and out from that bottomless pit, and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. These are strange locusts because they have the ability to reason, to hear words, to hear commandments. (laughs) That's kind of a strange locust, isn't it? And to them was given And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should torment them five months. And the torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Strange, these kind of locusts. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. And the shapes, and now this is very interesting. See if you've ever found locust of this shape. Uh, Lydia, my granddaughter, likes to, uh, to study insects, right? Well, you'll never find a locust like this on the face of this earth. You'll never find one. These are some kind of different locust than ever you will ever find on the earth. And the shapes of the locust were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair, as the hair of women. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. Well, these are some kind of different locusts aren't they you won't find any locusts like that on the face of this earth not literally anywhere at any time and here is the key in verse 11 and they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. That word means destroyer. They have these locusts coming out of the bottomless pit, darkening the air. 
You have these locusts with a king over them. And his name is destroyer. That's what Apollyon means. And so, we want to consider some very important things here. As we said, this is the fifth of the seven trumpet judgments. In the scripture, and we said you, you have to take the doctrinal teaching of the New Testament to guide you in your understanding of the book of Revelation, correct? In the doctrinal epistles, what happens at the last trumpet? Anybody tell me? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 53, writes, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, um, there he's talking about death. That's a euphemism. That's a softer word. But speaking of the believer's death, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when? At the last trump. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. The judgment comes, or, or the, the, the resurrection comes at the last trumpet. Well, you see, here you have seven trumpets in this judgment in the book of Revelation. Now, if you go over to chapter 10, by the way, and you look at verse 7, what's going to happen? But in the days of the voice of the seven trumpets, or the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, what, what, what happens? The mystery of God should be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. So you always have this reality. Obviously, since we are here in this time period, this is not then talking about something in the future, after the coming of Christ. After the coming of Christ, there's new heavens and new earth. So this is something that takes place before. And the seventh trumpet is consummation. So... Very important. And uh, we have the seven trumpet judgments here in chapters 8 through 10. These judgments were designed only for the inhabitants of the earth. That's an important phrase in the book of Revelation. You see, you have those who dwell in heaven in the book of Revelation. You have the inhabitants of the earth in the book of Revelation. Correct? Correct. All right, we're in a spiritual book. Language here matters, but we understand it from the clear teaching of the Word of God. The inhabitants of the earth speaks of those who are but natural. They're unregenerate. They're not God's people. They're the inhabitants of the earth. They don't have spiritual life. So... They are thus distinguished from those who are sealed with the seal of God. The seal of God in the New Testament is not something you see. It's not something that's visible. No, nor is the mark of the beast visible in Revelation chapter 13. Because in the very next chapter you have the seal of God in those who are his elect. 
and that's not visible. But that seal constantly in the New Testament without any variation is speaking of a person. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And that is the seal that God's people have. That's not visible as far as outward. So that's very important. But in our passage, just a few thoughts this afternoon. Well, don't think it'd be just a few minutes thoughts. We're going to have a few more thoughts than maybe that. We have, uh, uh, we have in this passage in Revelation 9, the darkening of the sun and the air. And that darkening comes from a great smoke and it comes out of a, the bottomless pit, it's called. So we read here in verses 1 and 2 in chapter 9. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Here, well, we have a star falls from heaven. We're in the realm of the spiritual, not the literal. If you had a star fall from heaven under the earth, what would happen to the earth if it was literal? What would happen to it? It would be annihilated. I mean, stars. You know our sun, S-U-N, is a star. You do realize that. You realize how big that sun is? What if it fell to the earth? When it speaks of the stars falling to the earth and still the earth remains, it can't be speaking of something that's literal. It has a deeper spiritual meaning. And so we have this fallen star. As a matter of fact, this fallen star is not identified as one of those twinkly things that comes and falls to the earth. We look at the sky in, in the evening, spoken of, as a personality, a person. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Well, we know we're not going to take a star out of heaven and put a key into that star and it's going to open some bottomless pit. We're in the realm of the symbolic and the spiritual that can only be comprehended and understood from all the rest of Scripture, what we're taught therein. So this is another incidental proof of the nature of the book of Revelation. By the way, we have the same fallen star in the last chapter, chapter 8, verse 10, but only in a different aspect. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. Same star, different aspect that falls from heaven. So this, we can call it a star of darkness. This is a star of darkness. That is far different because all the stars in the sky that we view at night, they have light. We wouldn't see them if they didn't have light, correct? They have to have light in order for us to see them. If they were dark, we'd never see them. We wouldn't know they were there. But we have a dark star here. There is, though, a bright and morning star. 
also in the book of Revelation. Who is the bright and morning star? The Lord Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, these things he sends to us through his angelic messenger. And he says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. But we have the opposite from him. We have the opposite from the bright and morning star. We have the dark star here. And uh, we know who it is. We know who it is. He's identified later as Apollyon. He's the king of the bottomless pit. He has authority over all these dark powers that are coming out of the bottomless pit. We know who it is, don't we? It's that old adversary, the devil, and Satan. Do you know, in Scripture, we find out who's in control of him? You remember the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of him as being fallen from heaven? He said in Luke chapter, chapter 10, verse 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Not only did he fall, it was quick. And he was most active in the days of our Lord. You remember the demonic powers that were all over the place It seemed like where the Lord Jesus Christ was. Demonic powers that controlled people in those days. Uh, like the demoniac of Gadara. And the Lord, of course, cast forth demonic powers. He had a whole legion of them. Incredible number of demonic powers. They're spiritual beings, right? In order for them to engulf and take up a boat in the bodies of men. A solemn thing. But he came, the Son of God. He was going to be opposed by hell. He was opposed by the forces of hell wherever he went. But he was going to cast down that old serpent, the devil. He was going to cast down Satan. And how is he going to do that? Was it going to be through brute power? He was going to do it by the cross. He was going to bind him by the cross. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. He said that facing the cross. In John chapter 12 verse 31. Isaiah could prophesy in Isaiah 14, 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? As a matter of fact, he's cast out of heaven. He's cast into the earth, the earthly in the book of Revelation, the natural man, apart from God's grace and being saved by his grace. So, what may we draw from this? Satan, that old adversary, he is either bound or he is loosed according to the providence of God. It is God who can loose him or bind him. It's our Lord, God incarnate, of course, who bound him. It's God who rules the universe, not Satan. There's one power, one supreme power, 
in this universe, and that's that of the living God. Power belongeth unto God. As the psalmist said in Psalm 62, verse 11. In the days of our Lord, as we saw, satanic activity was unleashed and fearful. No marvel. The Son of Righteousness had come. The Son of God had come. The Promised One was there. And there are times historically throughout this Christian era, as we call from the coming of Christ to the second appearing of Christ, there are historic times when God not only permits, but sovereignly, though not known to Satan himself, he directs his activity under a judgmental purpose. It is God who is overall. Remember, we made reference this morning to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is showing how men in sin suppressed, held down, kept the truth of God in, from going forth and held it and suppressed it, denied it, really. And the Scripture says God gave them over to a reprobate mind. He judged men with that. And much came out of that, including what the Apostle speaks of, men with men, women with women, working that which is unseemly, that homosexuality, that's a judgment upon the world. We even have it worse now with transgenderism and so forth. That's a judgment upon this nation. It's not simply something that's happening. It is a judgment. And it is a solemn thing. And only God can turn it around if his people ever truly come to repentance. <laughs> turn from the idols that have taken the place that belongs to Christ. In this nation. But it's God who's in control. Of these things. We have the opening of the bottomless pit. Here. In uh, again. Chapter 1. This fallen star. Identified as a person. Him. To him was given the key. Of the bottomless pit. And he opened. The bottomless pit. Well the bottomless pit. Is loose. There's a key. It's a prison, as it were, where are confined these locusts, as they are called in the book of Revelation. But God gives the key to the fallen star, the fallen being we know as Satan. And he is the one who is given to open the bottomless pit. Why is it bottomless? Well, because it has no geographical or literal location. You see, on this earth, we have to have a place to put our feet. We have to have a foundation. These beings have no foundation. Spiritually, we have a foundation, do we not? Other foundation can no man lay, and that is laid. They have no, no foundation. They have no standing. They have no geographical location. It's a therefore called the bottomless pit. This is a spiritual confinement of Satan and his hosts, his demonic uh, spirits. This is a spiritual confinement, bottomless pit, showing us it has nothing to do with the, anything physical on this earth. It's spiritual confinement, confined by Christ, and he alone possesses the power 
to open and shut it. And to give the key as he would for it to be opened or shut. He has that power. Who is Satan? He's the prince of hell. He has a kingdom of darkness. His purpose is to destroy. Therefore his name is called Apollyon. In the 11th verse. That was his purpose when he deceived our first parents. Adam and Eve. That was his purpose then to destroy. This dark being wants to rule. He wants power. Over everything he can get power. He wants to be like the Most High. You remember in Isaiah chapter 14? How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Thou said in thine heart, I will ascend above the, the throne of God. I will be like God. That was his desire. But God created the world. And he created our first parents, Adam. From her, he created the woman, Adam and Eve. Not Adam and Steve. Adam and Eve. Correct? He gave them dominion over the earth. Dominion belonged to them. Co-regents with God. Ruling over the earth. That old demonic, that old being of Satan, the devil, the serpent, as he appeared in the garden. That being could not stand that. He couldn't stand it. So his pride hated what God had done. Not he, they had power, dominion over the earth. He wanted power. He leads them into sin. They fall. In sin they fall from God. And guess who usurped then the dominion of the earth? Guess who then became the prince of the power of the air? Guess who then became the God with the little g of the world? He did. He did. And what was the desire of the little g God of this world? It was to keep men in blindness, darkness. To keep them from the truth that alone could save. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He does all he can to keep the gospel from going forth. He keeps the light of God from going forth. He does not want that light in this world. He doesn't want you to be a light in it. But the only ones, the only ones he can effectively deceive, the only ones he cannot hurt for eternity, are found in verse 4. And it was commanded them 
that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now, that's not a visible seal any more than the, the mark of the beast is a visible seal. This is an invisible seal. Only spiritual beings can comprehend and see this. It's in their foreheads. It is the seal of God's Spirit as clearly taught over and over in the New Testament. The air. They darken the air. These locusts that come out of the, the, the pit like smoke, they darken the air. Is that talking about the literal atmosphere around the earth? No. No. It's talking about the region of satanic activity. Even in the religious realm. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul spoke of in Ephesians chapter 2. When he spoke of the, the old adversary as the prince of the power of the air. Doesn't mean he's a weatherman. That doesn't say he's a meteorologist. That means the region where he operates, unseen by physical sight. And his doctrines, his doctrines come forth even in churches. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter uh, times some shall depart from the faith. That is, they'll turn from the, that which is made known in the Scripture concerning our Lord and his gospel and his truth. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to deducing, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Demonic doctrines. That had taken place then when the Apostle Paul wrote that. And it has taken place all throughout the Christian era. There are those who come to embrace, at least intellectually, the gospel. But eventually, they turn. They turn from it. They deny the truth. They alter what should be firm and true. Doctrines of demons. Demonic powers in the realm of religion. That's a solemn thing. Satan is in the realm of religion here. And not only do these spirits, these are demonic spirits out of the pit. Even their description has, as we'll see, important meaning as far as uh, the picture of them. But they enhance the darkness in the souls of men. But not only so, they torment. They torment the mind. They work in the realm of the human mind. That's a solemn thing, isn't it? In verses 5 and 6. And to them it was given that they should not kill them. That is, not kill men. But that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Only this is mental. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. And shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. It's amazing. Of course, we know that God gives men over to a reprobate 
mind. I'm convinced we have massive release of demonic powers now in the world. That's why you have the complete irrationality that is crazy in our world. I think somebody sent me a little cartoon thing of Linus and who, who else was it? Uh, Peppermint Patty, I think. Or you're, you know, the Peanuts thing. And it was <laughs> Linus and, and Peppermint Patty. Peppermint Patty was telling Linus, you know, scientists know now that, that the, the climate's in big trouble. There's real big climate problems now. And Linus looks at her and he says, they don't even know the difference between boys and girls. <laughs> I mean, that's where we are. It's incredible where we are. Incredible. We have the transgenderism. It's a defiance of God, and of course, his creation. The homosexual mess that we're in. It's a judgment. It's incredible. On this nation, let's turn from God that has suppressed the truth of God that kicked the Bible out of schools and, and so forth. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a mess. That's for sure. It involves that. But it involves and even goes worse. These produce mental and emotional torment and anguish. When the Lord Jesus told his own to go forth and carry the gospel into the very cities of Judea, in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He's not talking about literal snakes and literal scorpions. He's talking about demonic powers that they would come in contact with. So one wrote, importantly, The extremity of despair arising from a tortured conscience. Here we have this. We see it taking place all over the world at times. The extremity of despair arising from a tortured conscience. There's no pain of soul like the pain of conscience. When one is self-condemned and they begin to realize how horrendous their life is, how miserable they are in this world. That's why you have the increase of drug abuse and use massively now dulling the senses oh there's a hard thing drunkenness drunkenness people don't want to think about the things they're involved in they're so overwhelmed with anxieties and self-condemnations escapisms I and you have to be really careful if you're a believer in Jesus Christ with that television or that computer. You have to really be careful because things are getting worse and worse and worse and if you keep looking at it, it will do you incredible damage in your heart and your mind. And we have to, we have to uh, try to discipline our children to keep away from those things that are absolutely, totally, spiritually destructive to them. We better do so ourselves and be very, very careful. We don't have too much like we used to have. It's not, it's not howdy-doody anymore, Mary. Not even gun smoke anymore, Jill. 
<laughs> it's vile, sinful stuff they come out with now. It's incredible. Me? I like Andy Griffith. But anyway, they're not going But I like the old ones. Uh, we don't even have clean comedy anymore like that. So escapisms come. There are other devices to deaden the senses, to attempt to escape the realities of life. Escapisms, get away from these things. Only to have the torment return and return and return. Strong demonic pressure. Limited in its duration and extent. And those who are its objects desire to die, but then shrink from its awful reality. Death will flee from them. It's a picture of what happens in this world. I'm not going to take you to several passages in the Old Testament because I know it's afternoon. I know we've had a, 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 a substantial message this morning. But you can go to the... I'll just briefly say some things. If you want to study the plagues in Egypt, locusts were there. They were real. They were literal locusts in Egypt. Uh, you can go to the, uh, the book of Joel. You have judgment coming with... Uh, uh, locust as representing the demonic powers that are in that judgment. Uh, Babylon, Babylon itself, uh, would come under judgment. And uh, Babylon would be judged, represented by a judgment of locust. You might have a hard time finding that one. That would be Isaiah chapter 33, verse 4. You have... Uh, Another passage in Joel that kind of corresponds to the locust in John's vision here in the book of Revelation. We know Joel's locust were the Chaldeans who were given to burst forth upon an apostate people, but they were also symbolic of the far worse power of demonism that arises from the bottomless pit. Briefly, their description in verses 7 through 10. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses, prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. If you please, these are Satan's war horses. They're his war horses. They're his war horses against unregenerate man. You remember the darkening of the sun in verse 2? The darkening of the sun is not talking about the literal darkening of the sun that we look at in the sky. In biblical prophecy, consistently in the Old Testament, the darkening of the sun is the removing of divine truth. It was said, which prophet was it? I think Micah. He taught that the sun would go down upon the prophets. That meant the light of God would be taken 
It would be dark spiritually. Well, here we have Satan's war horses. They have crowns of gold to rule over the consciences of men and trample down the truth of God. They have hair like women in the bad sense that speaks of false religion. But they have the faces of men and they come to devour with lion-like teeth. They have breastplates of iron to repel the truth and what is true righteously. And they run to destroy. They torment only for a season and then they retire. Not permanently, but they come for a greater assault. The unleashing of demonic powers takes place sometimes in greater detail and massively and sometimes it's restrained according to God's providential will, according to his judgmental will. I think we're in a day when demonic powers have been unleashed massively. The truth is fought against incredibly. And it all comes down to Satan hates the kingdom of God. He hates the people of God. He hates the whole world. Satan's a hater of mankind. But he has a special hatred for the light and for God's people. And we live in such a time. We live in such a day. That's why we see things that make no sense at all. They're completely irrational. How could a human mind even think something like that if it had any sense at all? But it seems to be removed, even from the leaders. It's incredible where we are. And in our passage, it was only those who have the seal of God, that's the Holy Spirit and his work in the soul of the believer. These demonic powers cannot hurt or remove the truth from those who have the seal of God in them. And the remedy, that which Satan and his host cannot penetrate, has been, been applied to the souls of those who have the seal of God in them. In Christ we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1.7. And those who have so, that redemption, they are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Belonging to God, he's put his seal in them. His Holy Spirit. This is what the sealing means in the book of Revelation. The seal in the foreheads that cannot take the mark of the beast. These are both spiritual things. They're not fanciful outward things. Clearly made known if the whole of Scripture is used and the understanding of the meaning of symbols in prophetic Scripture, Old Testament and New, are used. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ forever. He cannot get you You've been delivered from him by one who has all power in heaven and in earth. 
May God bless the ministry of his holy word.